What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, Work Proud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. Work Proud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. Work Proud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are, are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. You can learn more at workproud.com. With us today is Frank Calderoni, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Anaplan and the Chairman of the company's Board of Directors. He's the author of Upstanding, How Company Character Catalyzes Loyalty, Agility, and Hypergrowth. We'll be talking today about why company character is so important in today's business climate, learn about some of the key cultural issues Frank has addressed at Anaplan, and hear about a few examples of when company character activated makes all the difference. He joins us today from San Francisco. Frank, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Elise. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you. And as I told you in our exchange before we got on air, I loved your book. And as you know, I read the books cover to cover. But what I want to just give you a shout out for really quick before we dig into it is I just found the yearbook full of inspiring concepts, but all really just chock full of practical tools and resources. It's just a home run. Thank you, Elise. And I really appreciate you reading it from uh, cover to cover so thoroughly. So uh, thank you. And I appreciate you're, the positive uh, feedback. You're so welcome. And so for our listeners and viewers who don't know you yet the way that I do, because they haven't read the book, I think it's important that we recognize that what we read and what we read in that book, and what we're going to hear from you today is really a wealth of experience that you've built over your career. Uh, 20, if, I, if I've got this right, 21 years at IBM, seven or nine at Cisco, and then at Red Hat and a few other places along the way. And then you came to Anaplan in 2017. So you talk about when you came to Anaplan in the book and how you wanted to bring those experiences to help the organization. So Elise, um, uh, kind of a great start. Yes, I, I've been around for a while, I have to say that. And <laughs> I've <good>. been, <laughs> you know, age, of course. But um, I, I've been fortunate to have worked for some great organizations over the years. Uh, you highlighted a few. You know, if I go back in uh, 21 years at IBM, um, and I was at the time um, with IBM when they were growing at a very fast pace, really developing. And it was a model of an organization that really spent a lot of time. And I remember the initial uh, premise uh, as far as the value, respect for the individual. And in those 21 years, I really learned how an organization really can respect the individual. And as a result, the individual is going to do a lot for the organization. And that I, I saw that play out for those 21 years, and I really value that. Uh, as you also mentioned, I spent um, you know over 12 years at Cisco, another great organization. You know, working closely with a leader like John Chambers and, and some of the other 
leadership team uh, that I had the good fortune of working with, I learned a lot from them. But another organization that spent a lot of time cultivating culture uh, at the leadership level and all the way down throughout the organization. And it was a big part of what made Cisco successful. And, And again, I learned a lot. And then also after that, I spent several years at Red Hat um, as the CFO, COO. But, but here was an organization that open source um, was their software, right? Uh, just to have everyone kind of work in that environment. But they also had an open culture. And I saw firsthand that when you empower people and give them the ability to speak up uh, and be authentic, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a lot of that. So wh- when I came to Anaplan, what I, what I tried to do is pull from those experiences and having spent so many years really understanding and appreciating that, uh, you know, culture is important. Um, it eats strategy for breakfast. I mean, that old saying really comes into play. And so I tried to even take it collectively to, to another level uh, in the four and a half years I've been part of Anaplan. And we're going to dive into some of the things that you did because you talk about them in the book in the second part of the show. But before we do that, I think it's really important that we set the stage for what your book is really built on, which I just think is so important. And that is this trifecta of unexpected events that no one could have expected, as you say, the global pandemic, the recession, and then, of course, the murder of George Floyd. Um, So will you say a little bit more about those experiences, why they're so important about a book about company character? So after um, at least all those years of experience, I think the last uh, 15 months for everyone, um, as you mentioned, the pandemic, social unrest, global recession, various other things, all those unprecedented uh, activity really brought about a significant amount of change altogether um, and provided CEOs, leaders and organizations um, an ability to deal with that change. And I think as a result, both from a leadership perspective and individuals in in general, both personally and professionally, there was a major cultural shift that needed to uh, have some attention paid to it. And I think those events required companies and organizations to really define and demonstrate their character, just like people have character. I I think it it, it forced organizations to have to step up um, and, and really act upon their character as an organization for the people within the organization, as well as for the people in the communities that the organization interacts with. And I, and I thought that, you know, having that all come together, and I actually spent those 15 months plus really kind of uh, trying to put down some notes um, and develop the upstanding book, which talks about organization character. Mm-hmm. And then to top it off, you trot yourself into a group of CEOs convened by Google, which I thought was fantastic. And the discussion that you talk about in the book was the change in sensibility toward business leaders engaging on ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues, directly and indirectly affecting their companies. And so there was a clear consensus that came out of that. Will you share that with us? So first, it was a great opportunity to be invited by Google to be part of that uh, CEO forum. It was a virtual Mm -hmm. event. Um, It was like you can imagine any company um across the u.s and and really global companies as well participated and it was an open forum and there were a couple of topics but i think the topic that really resonated with me was really reflecting on these 18 these past 15 months and where ceos were really talking about 
how their position in the organizations have changed in those 15 months, where they felt it was no longer acceptable to sit on the sidelines when it comes to ESG issues, because the employees were requiring it, the communities were requiring requiring it, and, and CEOs really had to step up and take a position one way or the other. And, and, and it made a difference, I think. And so hearing it consistently discussed among that group of uh, CEOs, I thought was very impactful. I did too. And then, and then you take it another step further and you take it from the inside, take it from the actual individual perspective here. And you make a very strong case in your book too, that we're all dealing with these heightened expectations that employees, customers, investors have a the business sector to lead the way through these daily changes. So business is recognizing that this is important for them to take a stance, but so are the individuals in the community as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, if you think about employees uh, that are part of an organization, I, I think over the last couple of years, and it even was accelerated in the last 15 months, um, individuals don't just look for a job for job's sake. Yes, that's important in what they do and how they do it, but they select the job also for the organization that they're part of. And so as a result, it, there's certain requirements that they or expectations that they have of that organization. One, to attract them, right, to, to, to the character that that organization would have and then retain them because it's a very competitive marketplace and they could decide to go elsewhere. So I think that's putting more pressure on organizations to really step up and have a purpose for what they do and how they do it, and then develop a character that helps them decide maybe right from wrong or where to take positions or not. I think the same is true with customers, right? Customers of those organizations have a choice as well. And I think we've seen over the years that uh, even customers take a position on where they buy from, depending upon what that organization stands for, or maybe does not stand for, right? Uh, And so as a result, again, there's more onus on the leaders and on the organizations to really step into this new world. Completely agree. So now that we, I think we've established the foundation here of what we're talking about, I think now we should distinguish the terms here. So you've been using both personal characters as well as organizational characters. So would you distinguish them for us in your particular special way? So I, I think personal character is a code of conduct that we apply when we have a choice to make, right? It's the framework for how we as individuals make a decision. Organizational character is comprised of kind of key traits um, that are also informed by the values, the values that the organization and the people within that organization uh, feel are important to them, that they then embody and they have behaviors that support those values. And then the employees within the organization embrace them uh, and commit to define those behaviors and align with the overall purpose and feel a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And I certainly know from my research, Frank, we talked about this when we first spoke, um, as a meaning and work researcher, that sense of belonging is so powerful. So I love that you address that. And then you take it one step further in your book. And so we've been talking about character here, but then you go on to explain that company character is the core that grounds culture and strategy. And it is the persistent through line of fundamental beliefs and values, uniting people and teams working with a shared purpose that I think that that right there, that one or two sentences is just so jam packed with import. 
yeah, I, I agree, of course, uh, because I, I think, you know, again, it's it's if you start at that higher purpose, it's 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 the purpose that allows people to feel a connection to the organization and then allows them to really identify with those values and then emulate those values. And whether those values like an plan are open or collaborative or tenacious or being authentic, people then know what's expected of them. They also know how they want to behave or can behave. And, and there's a lot of respect and trust uh, among uh, those individuals. And in the end, when, when you have that, they're going to be more energized. They're going to be more enthusiastic about what they're doing. And, uh, you know, that, that ties back to, you know, the success of the organization. Because if you have people in the organization that enjoy doing what they're doing, enjoy working with the people that they're working with, and feel that they can bring their authentic self to their organization or to their job, they're going to do the best. And that, that drives high morale, high performance, and then success overall. And it not only stays within the organization, it starts to move out into your ecosystem, your community, as well as in your customers. And that becomes contagious as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I have certainly been inside organizations when that is present, what you're talking about there, Frank, there's literally a buzz that you can feel and hear in the room. It's that palpable. It's incredible, incredible energy. So fantastic. And, and one of the things, at least I'll just say, because when I first, you know, as I've been with Anaplan now for four and a half years, I also hear it a lot from customers, our customers, mm-hmm. because it's not so much even just the product that they they enjoy and, and reason why they they provide we provide them this service, but they talk about the people that they interact with and and the special bond or the or the engagement that they have that our employees are committed to their success. And I know most companies want to say that, but I, and 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 they should strive to say that, but but making it a reality is what makes the difference. Well, and you've also said in your book that you've got customers who have come to work for you. That's a tremendous testament, right? Uh, That's tremendous. Yes, for sure. Yes. And, and that is good, right? Because they, 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 they want to be on the inside at times as well as being on, on the customer side. And so yeah, they, they like what they're, we've also what they're, seen planners that go work for our customers. So it, it shows that the, that the community that we're part of doesn't just stay in the walls of our organization. It goes out into our partners and it also goes out into our customers. Which, of course, I applaud, and you know that's a big part of my messaging. So with that, let's take our first break. Joining us today is Frank Calderoni. He's the chief executive officer of Anaplan and the chairman of the company's board of directors. He's the author of Upstanding, How Company, excuse me, How Company Character Catalyzes Loyalty, Agility, and Hypergrowth. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. As we've watched the pandemic continue on, we look for ways to help companies support their employees handle their anxiety, stress, and de depression and feeling disconnected while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing professional development. So we now offer a well-being webinar learning series called Grab Your Gusto, Vital Wellbeing from the Inside Out. You can learn more about it at EliseCortez.com or email me at Elise at EliseCortez.com. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Frank Calderoni. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Anaplan and the Chairman of the company's Board of Directors. In the beginning of the show, we were talking about what's happening in the world today that requires company character. And now we're going to talk about what a few of the things that Frank and his team have been doing to address company culture at Anaplan. So you say in the book here, there's so it's so interesting, you talk about how companies and their leaders can't be silent on racial justice and the sustainability. And when we're silent on issues that matter, people will fill in the gaps themselves, you say, and most likely negatively. So first, before we get into what you've been doing at Anaplan, why is this so important in today's times and in the talent marketplace? So first, the, the, the talent marketplace is very competitive. And I think if you don't demonstrate your support for diversity and inclusion, then those great talent, uh, those candidates, will go somewhere else. They'll pass you by, um, and so I, I, that's one. And and I think you know, going back to the conversation around having an organizational character uh, and being standing up and making sure that you take a stand within the communities, uh, having a much more broader, diverse, inclusive environment is is the right thing within your community, within your ecosystem. And I, th I think, you know, as organizations take positions, um, they allow the employees uh, or even those candidates that are attracted to the organization to make a decision as to whether or not they join or not. And I think when you do, uh, you're more likely uh, to have a group of individuals want to sign on and be part of that rather than join an organization that really doesn't have a say one way or the other which I think is a big difference from where things may have been, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I really like the courage and the stance you're talking about, Frank, and I really, really admire it, which is another reason that I wanted to have you on the show. I, I, I applaud what you're talking about, and of course, I endorse it. So right there with you. So but one of the things that you also talk about is that when you, you shared in the book that when you entered the company as CEO in 2017, that the culture was considered manaplan. I thought that was quite an interesting term. Help us understand what you identified and what, what you knew you had to address and why. So I, I think the, it was interesting because it took a while and I heard it once or twice and I heard it more pervasive uh, coming from, from women that they felt that they didn't feel like they had you know, a seat at the table. That's kind of the words that were used. And after I heard it, I, I tried to step back and see if I could observe it, and I did. And so I felt that uh, it definitely was not the right thing to do for the organization, but I also felt that the women uh, really didn't have a chance to really participate and, and provide their best selves um, into whatever the projects that we were working on, whatever some of the things that we had to do on behalf of our customers. And so we were missing out. Uh, we were missing out on their insights, on their ability to really kind of uh, actively participate uh, and make a difference. And so I, I determined early on that I wanted to change that. And I, I you know, we, we started one talking about it, understanding why it happened and then what we were going to do to, to, to make some changes. And I think, you know, stepping up and acknowledging it and then determining that you are going to make a change and, 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 and measuring yourself to make that change brought about a difference, uh, which is, I, I think we're, I mean, we're not perfect, 
but we're so much better today than where we were a couple of years ago. And we'll continue on that journey going forward. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about your book, I, I just was imagining what it must have been like when you were going through the interview process and, and you were hearing that here the Anaplan has an incredible product, a large green field of opportunity, loads of potential. But what you began to really notice in those conversations is its culture and character were not well developed. Must have been so interesting for you with all that experience to look at that and go, I know I can make a difference here. So, at least uh, it's true. I, I think part of it occurred, there, there was a leadership void before I joined. There was a gap between the previous CEO and myself. And so I think when there's a gap with leadership, things happen in an organization. So I, ju- I just put, put that out there. But I, but I also saw as I started to get into it, and I saw the product capabilities, and I was really, that, that's what it enamored me with joining the company. And then I heard how our customers were so enthusiastic about the product. And, and I felt that if, if our employees were as excited, think about what that could really do. I mean, that could be the uh, the, the, the icing on the cake, really, to kind of really make this. Uh, and so, uh, and then going back to my previous experience at IBM or Cisco or Red Hat and those strong organizations, those strong cultures that I, I was, you know, part of. I felt that I could really, we, not me, but we could also make a big difference in Anaplan. And so we made that a core, uh, just like our strategy was was important and the different business initiatives, we made culture a core foundation of who we were. And, and how we started that was really to identify values that were meaningful to the members of the organization. And the way we did that was not for me to decide what those values are or the leadership team, but to have it be kind of a, a grassroots and, and, and invite those in the organization to participate. We had 67% of the population, global population, volunteer to participate in certain work groups, workshops, because they wanted to have a say in what those values were. And then, it, you know, it took longer because there was more people involved. But it was well worth it because people bought into what those values were and they felt themselves owning it and then wanting to behave and live those values um, every day. It's very powerful. I, I, I do that kind of work with clients as well. So when I read that part of your book, I just thought that was incredibly powerful. So and, and then you go on to another another interesting point here that I thought was interesting when you were talking about how you, and I don't know, didn't know if you meant this as what you do at Anaplan or just in general, but speaking back on evaluating issues, you share that you and your team take a three-part working framework approach to helping them segment their approach to macro issues. I'd love to hear you share more about that particular framework and how you got to it. Sure. I mean, it's, it's you know, three steps, simple. First is decide to take a position. Um, and, you know, those positions could be on things internal to Anaplan uh, that may not be directly related to our business, uh, or it could be taking a position on something within our community um, and, and really kind of making sure that um, we, we stood behind that. I mean, this, again, the last 15 months with all the social unrest, you know, taking a position on the George Floyd murder at the time well over a year ago and what that really meant to planners, but also what it meant externally. Second step is create an agenda, right? What, when you take that position, what's your plan of action? Um, what are we going to do in the organization? What motions do we want to follow? Uh, and what outcomes do we want? And then third, it's really the activism. It's, it's, it's to make a financial commitment, right? 
if, if you decide you're gonna take a position and you have that agenda, what are you gonna put behind that agenda to make sure it's, it plays itself through? So a financial investment, uh, certain metrics, goals, wh whatever you were gonna commit to, to make sure that you were gonna be successful. You know, you just now mentioned this in the conversation, Frank, and I, I'm pretty sure if my memory serves me right, you do mention it in the book too. What what position did you take on the George Floyd George Floyd murder? Murder, excuse me. You know, it, it's you know again, I think that situation and everything else uh, around that uh, around Black Lives Matter that occurred over the last 15 months um, had much a greater impact, not just on black employees, but I think on all employees, because I think it, it forced everyone to step back and really look at wh what is what is right, what's not, and also to understand and appreciate um, how black people felt around that. And so one of the things that we did, which, which I, you know, I, I just reflected on this recently because we had, you know, the one year anniversary, um, we had an open conversation with the entire company uh, on that one year anniversary. And I reflected back a year ago. And one of the things that we did is I, I, ha I held an open forum with our black employees. I think it was like a week or two after the, the, the George Floyd uh, situation in Minneapolis. And all I did was listen. I, I listened to them all talk about their life experiences as a black person and through that lens. And for me, that was very moving um, and, 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 and it forced me to, to, to do nothing but listen. And, and as a result, I think I was, I, I got, I was a better person. I was a better leader. I understood where they were coming from. And from that, we, we've developed some initiatives around that within Anaplan and within the community that I think, you know, we're continuing to work on, right? As I said, nothing's perfect, but we we're working on that. And, and, it, and it's making, I, I think, for myself, and I think even at the one-year anniversary, uh, based on what I heard from our employees, you know, we're we're starting to make a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you that you shared that with us, Frank. It's it's really important to see how a CEO takes a stance on that, and back to the, the whole company character and the the leader character. I was just really uh, pleased with the way that you described your actions, and then of course we're going to tell we're, we're going to share more stories in the next segment about how others have have taken action. But it's just so important. So. And then to that end, the last thing I wanted to cover in this particular segment is that you say that organizations that have upstanding character have four characteristics embedded in their DNA. What are they? Yes. So, um, again, simple um, statements, but I think they're very meaningful. First is they operate with a larger purpose. Um, and even just kind of what you're talking about, you and I had this conversation recently about purpose, right? Yeah, absolutely. People, people want to belong to something where they can understand and appreciate what that purpose is all about, right? So they can relate. That's number one. Second, um, as I mentioned before, that the organization is values-led, right? What are those values that are important for the people in the organization? And what are the right behaviors that help support those values? The third is to follow through on the convictions. What, what convictions you have, you're not just gonna put them on a wall and walk away and then revisit a year from now. You're gonna put them up there and you're gonna, you're gonna live by them and help, you know, that ha have them help make some of your decisions and take some of those actions. And then fourth is, you know, I, I think again, I can relate back to this last eight, 15 months, they have to answer the call in challenging times because that's when, when you have a challenging situation, 
you're being forced to react. And, and if, if you have that, that purpose, that character, those values, it's going to help guide you in those challenging times really to make the best decision. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Just, you just brought it all together beautifully there. And with that, let's take our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We'll be on the air with Frank Calderoni, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Anaplan and the Chairman of the company's Board of Directors. We've been talking about some of the things that he and his team have done at Anaplan to address culture and character. After the break, we're going to talk about a few examples of what upstanding company character really looks like when it's taken in action. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest today is from San Francisco, Frank Calderoni. He's the Chief Executive Officer of Anaplan and the Chairman of the company's Board of Directors. He's also the author of Upstanding, How Company Character Catalyzes Loyalty, Agility, and Hypergrowth. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So before we get into this next segment here, Frank, I want to embarrass you. And I want to tell you that I, I read in your book that you wanted to be a journalist when you first set out in, in, in college <laughs> and you became one. And I, so it's just your, your book is really beautifully written. And I, I hope that causes you to blush just a little bit. But I thought that was kind of a fun little thing, how, how it all sort of came back. It was. Uh, so this is when I went to college in New York City, I worked for um, a radio station by the university. And it, it was it was a great experience. I, I became a reporter for a while. Um, I became a disc jockey. Some of the things that you know, I had some fantasies about, I got a chance to try for a couple of years, get it out of my system. But it, it was it was a great way to meet a lot of people uh, within the university, but also within New York City, because I got a chance to meet with politicians and things like that. So a great experience. Yeah, fan- fantastic way to start. I couldn't help but, but bringing that up and celebrating that. So for this last segment, I do want to share a few of the really amazing examples that you talk about in your book about company character um, in action. But before we do that, I also really want to call it something that you do that I see very few other leaders do. And that is your commentary on the way forward involves a two-way street between companies and employees. And we seldom hear a call for employees to take responsibility for their necessary role in the way forward. So. I, it, it's and what I want to say about that is it's it is really important. We hear a lot about oh gosh, you know, companies and leaders have got to create a great company culture where employees want to come to work and be engaged. And there's another party in this in this this role here. So will you say more about that two way street and really maybe more of the perspective of what's on the employees? So Elisa, again, the success comes from that two way street, right? Uh, you know, expecting for employees to sit back and expect the leaders to answer or address all of the requests that employees have um, doesn't is not really fair. I mean, yes, leaders have to provide that framework. They've got to provide 
you know, the, some of the structure as far as the vision, the strategy, the setup for the culture. But the two-way street is that employees also have to take an active role in that, right? Because they have to live it. Um, they have to also help evolve what that culture is or what that character of the organization is. And so they have to hold themselves accountable as well. Um, and, and you know, that plays out in so many different ways. I know from an Anaplan standpoint, like even when you think about diversity and inclusion and taking stands or, or developing action plans, it's not for just myself and the leadership team to work on, but we have, you know, employee research uh, resource groups that are focused on, um, you know, Black Lives Matter or focused on various types of uh, diversity so that we can help together work on an agenda. So I, I think it goes uh, all around the organization for it to be successful. I agree. And of course, another reason that I like that, Frank, is that I think it's really important. And of course, a lot of what do I do is empowerment. And so I want each individual employee to also feel empowered to do something about this, to manage their own career, to to be part of the solution going forward and to contribute their voice. So that's part of the reason I wanted to celebrate that that comment that you that you put in your book. It's beautiful. So now we got we have to get to chapter seven. So uh, chapter seven, you say you identify that in the chapter, what I would consider to be the critical orienting compass of your whole entire book. And this is from my vantage point, of course. And you say, if you do nothing else, your call to action is to identify the environmental, social or governance issues that will test your company character. Yeah, it, it, very critical, because how you face them will affect your immediate and long term reputation. Right. And so that's a big part of character. You must decide whether those positions will be active or passive. So that's a decision you're making right there. Uh, and then taking action as needed, right? If, if you're gonna be active, what is that action that you're gonna take? And, and I think, you know, it goes back to sitting on the sidelines is no longer acceptive, uh, acceptable. If you ignore that call, you're, you're, taking, you're taking that risk. You're deciding that you're not gonna take an action and then you could be held out by your employees, by your customers, by your community uh, for maybe not taking, you know, a position or taking a, an action. So I think, again, and, and not to say, I'm not here saying that you need to take on everything because then, right. you know, you take on too much and then nothing gets done. But selecting what you want to take on, how you're going to prioritize that, what actions you're going to take, and then the support you're going to have within your organization and your community to make that progress is going to be important. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, and I also really appreciate the more active stance in that. There's agency in what you're talking about, and I really celebrate that as well. And so to bring this now home, so we, we've been talking about why is this important and how you've been going about this. I want to I want to share have you share um, a few examples that you gave from the book that really, I think, illustrate just how powerful it is when, when company character is activated. And I forget the word that you used. It's not activated. It's, what do you call it when you bring it out? Not unleashed. I'll remember it. Yeah. But, but anyway, so the first thing I want to call out, which is I didn't know this, but uh, you share in the book uh, the example of Coca-Cola and its position it took in January 1965 when Atlanta was trying to determine how to celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King's Nobel Prize win. So I didn't know anything about this. This is a great story. So will you set the stage for us as to what happened and why Coca-Cola's stand was so critical? Sure. As I was researching the book, I tried to get some examples uh, that were just out there that I felt were relevant to the topic, but also even some of my own experiences or, or peers or folks that I've worked with over the years. But but in this one in particular that you called out, um, you know, Coca-Cola's chairman at the time, uh, that was J. Paul Austin, took a stand back in 1965 
when there was, you know, planned to party to celebrate, uh, as you said, Dr. Martin Luther King's Nobel Prize. And he assembled a group of uh, business elite and he said, you know, it's embarrassing for Coca-Cola to be located in a city that refuses to honor its Nobel Prize winner, right? So we are, he basically said that, hey, we're an international company and the Coca-Cola company does not need Atlanta. You all have to decide whether Atlanta needs the Coca-Cola company. And as a result of just putting that out there and, and forcing that conversation in his speech, 1,500 people immediately bought tickets to the dinner celebration. So, you know, putting that out there caused a reaction. And in this case, people rose to the occasion, which, which I think was important. Well, and I think if that's not leadership, gosh, I don't know what is, right? And so then let me make sure that I specify this for our listeners and our viewers. So before the, that, the Coca-Cola CEO made that statement, no one had bought a ticket, if I, if right. I remember right in your book. Not a single exactly. person had bought a ticket. So for him then to give that very short, eloquent, direct speech is, I think, a great example of, of company character in action and really the difference that it can make. So a beautiful example. Um, and then you go on and talk about um, companies, how they can position themselves in response to other social issues. And your example of the response Cisco had to Proposition 8 in California, which is the one where uh, marriage is legal only between a man and a woman, was incredibly notable. And you were actually, I think, quite proud of the way that they addressed that. So can you set the stage for that? What, what was going on and what did they, how did they respond and position themselves? So, so this this goes back to like a personal situation, right? Um, so this was back in 2008. I was one of the leaders uh, that was part of uh, Cisco at the time. And the Marriage Protection Act was actually out there. Um, and the bill gained uh, some national attention. So it wasn't just within California. So I was the CFO. Um, and we debated uh, this this taking a position. This is the leadership team within Cisco. Um, you know, we were for it. Uh, who was against it? Do we not say anything? Um, what are the pros and cons? Huge discussion, right? And and everything came back to what was going to happen if we did take a position, either of those positions, and what the impact would be uh, to Cisco and whether it would damage Cisco's reputation. But in the end, after that active dialogue, you know, it, we we stood up for what we believed in. And, and we said that we don't support Proposition 8 as a company. And I remember, you know, in the book I talked about, I had a conversation with, with Sue Bostrom. Um, and Sue was uh, our chief marketing officer at the time. And she, she you know, recollected this story. And then she and I were there at the same time. So we kind of um, uh, rec reconciled as far as how that was. But however, despite our support, the bill did pass with 52% approval. But as you know, eventually it was overturned. But we felt from a Cisco leadership standpoint that we stood up for what we believed in. And we felt even, especially now, that we made the right decision and that others in the organization respected us uh, at the time for stepping up and taking that position. And as a result, Cisco as an organization was not damaged with the position that we took. Mm hmm. And I don't remember the language exactly, but I, of course, have it in the copious notes that I take, and, and I offer to share them with your team if they wanted to see them. But, but what I think I remember about what, you, what, the, what the position or the statement was, was something about, you know, what, we, we um, support people loving whoever they choose, or, you know, love is an important thing, it's an important part of life, and who you choose shouldn't be so important, or something like that. So what, it, what, I, what I liked was, you, it seemed to me that you, the, 
the statement that you issued was elevated above the whole question. You were still celebrating yes. love and connection and finding somebody important to spend your life with and, and celebrating that, but st which right. still allowed you to make a make a position and, and put forth a stance with, without really getting involved in the, the messiness of the politics and the actual discussion. You were, you were you'd elevated above that as far as I could tell. You said that so well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's how it landed for me, Frank. That's exactly how it landed for me. I thought it was elegant. And again, I so, so appreciate that. Now we're getting real here. This is a real conversation. We're not, you know, staying safely on the sidelines and hoping that well, the whole big dark cloud will pass. We are getting involved. And I think that's why your book is so powerful and so timely. So, so thrilled that I get to celebrate this and share you with my listeners and viewers. So let's talk about one more example that I thought was really, really incredible. You talk about the story of the uh, the NBA's response to the HB2 bill, that's the bathroom bill, um, and re with regard to hosting an Allstate game in Charlotte. So will you tell us about that one? So this was back in uh, several years ago, right? North Carolina state legislature and the governor passed a bill that made it illegal for anyone to use a bathroom that didn't match the gender on their birth certificate. And as you recall, there was so much controversy, not only in North Carolina, but really across the United States. And it was, uh, you know, a, an issue that um, really uh, took on a tremendous amount of, of political uh, heat uh, from that perspective. And I remember, and I did talk with um, uh, the former uh, chief people officer of the NBA who recalled this, because he was part of the organization at the time, that in 2017, the NBA All-Star Game was scheduled to be held in Charlotte. Um, however, given the bill was inconsistent with how the NBA the values were stated, they voiced disagreement publicly, uh, and they also took a, a strong position, um, and they moved the game, and this shows the, the character of the organization taking a strong position, understanding that there was financial implications associated, but they moved the game from Charlotte uh, as a result of that, um, and again, you know, they, I, I think they took the right decision uh, and they supported it uh, as a leadership team. And in my mind, I think this was a great example of an organization demonstrating strong character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so this goes back to if you listen, uh, listeners and viewers, to my tagline for the show, this is very intentional that, that I really am out to help. Um, curate a conversation that allows us to create workplaces where people thrive, where inspirational leaders bring us to our greatness, and we do business that betters the world. And so very much appreciate this whole role that you're spearheading here, Frank, this notion that you know, company character really does make a difference in the world. It, it's, it's important. And I love how you use the word ecosystem because, of course, that's the stakeholder community. And so to be able to really lift the whole community that it touches is so beautiful. So we have a, just a little bit more time before we, I'll ask you the last close question. Um, I want to just let you just share whatever you think is important with regard to what we've been talking about around company culture and, and excuse me, company character that, that is important that we haven't gotten to yet before I bring us to a close. So I, I think, um, I, again, reflecting back on my uh, various experiences at different organizations, and I have to say that I, I keep putting this out there because I, I don't know it all and I haven't done everything right all the time. But, you know, you learn from uh, sometimes your mistakes or some of the situations that you're part of. Um, and that's what it's all about. Right. And so 
I, I have learned and I do have a sense of conviction behind, uh, you know, encouraging all leaders uh, to really spend the time. Sometimes, you know, I, I think in the past, the whole topic of culture, the whole topic of character for an organization was looked at as somewhat fluff or something nice to have. Well, we'll get to it when, you know, um, and we don't spend as much time. And I think that time is really long gone. And I think our society in general um, is requiring all of us as individuals and as organizations to step up um, and really take a stand on having a set of values, having a purpose, having a character, standing behind it with a sense of conviction. And, and I, I, I think that's going to make a big difference going forward. And I think the, we're starting to see um, that shift in the right direction um, and, and the more emphasis uh, and, and having this conversation with yourself, at least, but also with your audience and having others, other leaders acknowledge that there is value um, and it will result in improved performance, re improved results um, is extremely powerful, I think. It is. And, and you also mentioned something else that's really important for us to call out here really quick. And that is this notion that, that when we really are authentic about our values and what we stand for and we speak to them, what's going to happen is we are going to lose some people and we're going to gain others. And the people that we lose, we probably don't want to be hanging out with anyway. And the people that we gain are probably going to be stronger supporters. And you give a great example in the book of even how Jeff Bezos spoke up about, I think it was Black Lives, Black Lives Matter. And he got some pushback from, there was something on the front page of Amazon about we support um, black lives or something and he got a lot of very very vitriolic emails about that and and he said well you know if, if that is uh, unappealing to you then maybe you're not my customer and it, i'd be okay losing you basically something along those lines you know every and i, I see this even with an anaplan every issue you take on you're not going to make everyone happy right right and, nor and, should and you. it's not possible nor should you right right but but you but you got it you got it if you don't try and you don't take on nothing nothing moves forward right uh from, from that you don't have the advancement so you know I'll, I'll just give an example today um as we're speaking um we, we have these regular sessions within anaplan i call them frank answers questions i talk about in the book where it's an open forum on a topic or it could just be wide open and we allow everyone in the organization to ask questions and i answer them um today what i tried to do is i focused and i did um on gender pay parity um, big focus item um, across all organizations, but we, we, we. This goes back to the question you were asking about Manaplan. I took this on a couple of years ago, and I said, okay, one of the ways of addressing um, this whole um, gender issue was to kind of look at pay, pay for performance, and make sure it's it it has parity, right? I signed up for Paradigm for Parity. It's a CEO organization to get CEOs to acknowledge support around that. We talked about it today. Uh, we had we had some good exchange. We showed data as far as the progress we've made. We had an active discussion. I think people felt uh, good about just the transparency, the openness, that we felt it was a topic for discussion among all, both men and women, as well as even other types of diverse groups uh, that want us to elevate some other issues. That's amazing, Frank. Great way to finish the show as well. Um, we are really close to out of time, but I want to give you a chance to close as you like. Say in about 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Again, just strongly encourage, uh, spend the time uh, as a leader with your company's character. Engage the organization. Make them feel part of it. Align it to a purpose. 
let them participate in creating what values they can resonate with, with behaviors, um, and then make sure you live by those values. And it, it will evolve. I mean, again, it, nothing stays constant. So you have to always understand and appreciate that those values will evolve, the behaviors will evolve, but providing that, that guidance in that direction um, allows employees to have a sense of belonging. Um, and as a result, they're gonna do their best job for you. Beautiful way to finish, Frank. I'm so very, very happy and privileged to have you on the show and share you. I love the book, as you know, and I'm happy to, to get the word out here about it. So thank you very much for joining me as a guest and sharing your heart and your soul. Thank you, Elise. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I did too. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Frank Calderoni or Anna Plan, you can start by going to upstandingcharacter.com. That's where you'll learn more about the book. Again, upstandingcharacter.com. You can also go to the company website, anaplan.com. That's A-N-A-P-L-A-N.com. I also did discover, and this will probably also embarrass you, Frank also has a Wikipedia page if you want to go there. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it. We recorded a podcast. We were on the air with Sean Harvey, who's the Chief Compassion Officer at the Symponia Institute. We were talking about the work he does helping to infuse compassion into hyper-masculine cultures and work environments. Next week, we'll be on the air with Bob Graham, the founder of Namaste Direct, a nonprofit organization that supports women business owners in Guatemala with microloans and business education to lift them from poverty and allow them to thrive. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.